Attention crew, this is your captain speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, and also interviews with special guests and a few little surprises along the way. I'm your host, Caliban, and on today's show, we've got some interesting news stories about Star Trek-like technology in our own time, or Treknology. Plus, we take a look at the best comment from last week from our social media followers, and we preview what you can expect to hear on the show next week. So let's get started with a little Star Trek news. Journey LaForge was born blind in the 24th century, but his visor device allows him to see. And in the 21st century, tech company eSight is looking to make the visor a reality. Their eSight 3 device can restore vision to legally blind users by projecting real-time images to LED screens in the visor-like device. It can't help people with no vision at all, but it has helped Yvonne Felix, a woman who lost 98% of her vision to Stargardt disease when she was seven. With help from the eSight 3, she's now able to see her husband of eight years and her two-month-old son for the first time. Currently, the technology behind eSight can be unreliable and requires a separate handset to operate the device, but the company is committed to refining the technology and hopes to have a contact lens version of the device ready in five to ten years. There's no word on if Yvonne can tell if people are lying. Doesn't always work with strangers, but with my husband or son, got him nailed. You did take the cookie from the cookie jar, Brayden. It's time out in the brig for you. Speaking of technology, the tricorder device is a ubiquitous presence in Star Trek, allowing our heroes to scan, locate, diagnose, reverse polarity, and more. And two real-world companies are racing to make a medical tricorder device a reality. The Tricorder X-Prize competition, sponsored by Qualcomm, was launched in 2012 with 300 teams committing to develop a Tricorder-like device. Now, just two of those teams, one from Basal Leaf Technologies and one from Dynamical Biomarkers Group, are still in the race for the $10 million prize. The team's prototypes must meet the following conditions. They must monitor five vital signs, diagnose specific medical conditions, send the data to the Internet, and weigh less than five pounds. For a tricorder, the device in question will be a little underpowered compared to something carried by Dr. McCoy or Commander Data. But the purpose of the unit will be to gather ongoing data for the user themselves to allow them to make decisions based on their day-to-day conditions. It's kind of like a diabetics glucometer combined with a Fitbit and with WebMD. And, and so far, its physical profile reflects all of those roles. Uh, the prototypes are currently less than a sleek Star Trek prop and more of like an iPad mini with some electrodes and a stethoscope plugged into it. Uh, There's no word on whether the teams involved will seek to have their devices approved by the FDA for use in medicine after the competition ends in April, but the FDA has indicated they'd be open to reviewing the devices as certified medical tools. Can it do the open sesame gag from Star Trek Generations? That's all I need to know. And one more story. Entrepreneur Mark Bell is a financier. He's a producer of films and Broadway musicals, the former owner of Penthouse, and a really rich dude. But he's also a Star Trek fan. And here's how we know. He just put his eight-bedroom, 16-full, two-half-bath, 25,000-square-foot Boca Raton house on the market at a listing price of $35 bucks. But it's what's inside that will appeal to the Star Trek fan. In addition to a gym, a full-size basketball court, and a 1,500-bottle wine cellar, the home features a private theater outfitted to look like the bridge of the Enterprise D. It even features technology that will shake the floor during 3D films. Not only that, but the the house has three bars, uh, one of which is outside the theater, and it's mocked up to look like the inside of a starship or a space station. There's also a ballroom with more than 60 arcade games, including, of course, Star Trek The Next Generation Pinball. 
the next generation of pinball technology. Uh, there's also a Call of Duty room for online console gaming that looks like a bunker that Solid Snake could be hanging out in or um, soap or whatever. I don't really play Call of Duty. Uh, the house is also lousy with memorabilia from Star Trek, Star Wars, sci-fi films, and strangely has a children's room that's nautical-themed uh, down to a pirate-shaped bed. Okay. Bell is moving to a new house, and he has said that he's building a new home theater that will be designed to look like the bridge of the new Enterprise from the 2009 J.J. Abrams reboot. So, um, too bad for his eyes, I guess. Uh, maybe he can get an eSight 3 to help with that, if the eSight incorporates anti-lens flare technology. Hey, does the Enterprise have a penthouse? Don't stick with me here. I, I mean, like, a penthouse suite. Like, like, what's the nicest room on the Enterprise? Like, the captain's yacht? Or, like, what's the best quarters that you have when somebody drops by? It's, like, somebody important. It seems like we would see it, like, in an episode like Contagion when Admiral Quinn comes aboard with his little, you know, space trapper keeper. Uh, That would be, like, the nicest quarters, right? Like, that's, like, guest dignitaries or something like that. Or, like, if when Sarek's on board, where does he live? They always just look like your same basic guest quarters. I mean, even Admiral Quinn's quarters only had one glass table. That thing should have been lousy with glass tables. Just... Everyone, the, the the door is a glass table. You're walking on glass tables as you come in. That's what I think. And nobody's asked Mark Bell how many glass tables he has in his mansion. I think that's an important question to ask. Well, speaking of questions and comments, it's that time on the show where we issue a commendation by calling out the top comment from our social media outlets. This week, it's a comment by former show guest Alan Gratz. He left a comment about our last episode when we discussed the DS9 episode Past Tense and its socio-political parallels to our contemporary social climate. I think on the show, you know, I said something to the effect of, why is so much of sci-fi social commentary um, and why is sci-fi so effective or used so much as a, a, a tool for talking about social commentary? And Alan left a, a comprehensive uh, comment, which I'll, I'll try to boil down here. But his point was writing about social commentary in sci-fi allows the author to sort of change the rules, if you will. He says that authors can, quote, create a hyperbolic situation that overplays the issue. You can turn the near future into a dystopia without having to justify it as real, because we have a suspension of disbelief that this might be a version of the future, but not really our future. End quote. And then he goes on to talk about Suzanne Collins using the world of Panem to talk about class divisions and economic disparity, even the exploitation of children and reality television. That's a pretty full book, actually, uh, when you think about it. Uh, there's a lot going on there, and that's all possible because she set this in this world uh, that's detached from ours. Uh, there's a distancing effect, if you will. So, great point by Alan. Thanks for your comment. And what do you win? You win a get-out-of-a-stabbing-free card, redeemable at your local sanctuary district. Remember, listeners, you can join in on the conversation and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EISTpod or find us at at EISTpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. We are waiting to receive your transmission. I'd also like to direct your attention to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. We work hard to bring you an entertaining and informative show every week. And if this was the 24th century, where money didn't exist, we would do it merely for the sense of satisfaction. But this is the 21st century, and everything seems to cost something, it seems. So if you enjoy the show and you want to help out, please check out our Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Anything you can contribute would be appreciated and would help us keep flying. So thank you. 
And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an iTunes listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on iTunes and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. We'd really appreciate it. If you're not on iTunes, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful. Next time on Enterprising Individuals. The Enterprise discovers a weapon capable of destroying entire planets, and a Commodore whose crew was killed by the machine jeopardizes the crew on a crazed mission of revenge. That's right, we're going back to the original series to talk about the Doomsday Machine. Former guest and author Scott Pearson is back on the show to talk about special effects, Kane mutiny references, and the chain of command, so tune in a week from now to catch that. And until then, I'm your captain, Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper. <laughs>